keep a scorecard of hurts, a running tally of wrongs and wrongdoers to help you one day get even? That's no way to live or to love. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks at the highly destructive emotion of resentment, how it differs from anger, yet is just as damaging to the way God wants you to love. Here's David to introduce his message, Love's Power Over Resentment. Friends, have you ever been around people who have resentment? Have you ever been filled with resentment yourself? Maybe something happened to you years ago and you didn't deal with it, and you just kind of stuffed it in your in your in your heart, and it lays there ready to uh, get you ticked off at anything that happens. Well, we're going to talk about resentment. Resentment. The best definition I know of it is simply this: resentment is anger gone underground. Anger gone underground, waiting to explode at an unexpected time. Have you ever been in a situation and somebody just goes off and you go, where did that come from? Well, it came from having lived unresolved in a person's life. It's called resentment. We'll talk about it here in a few moments. Don't forget to get the study guide for this series. It's called The Power of Love. It's... um, Well, it's a little longer than some of the other studies we've had. This is 150 pages of notes and outlines for this series from 1 Corinthians 13, recently revised and improved. It's yours from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. That's where you'll find the study guide, and that's where you will find the CD package that um, memorializes this series. I'll tell you about our resource for the month at the end of today's program, but right now, I want us to open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll be looking at other passages as well. Here's part one of Love's Power Over Resentment. Just about every newspaper in the Western world told the story of how one January dawn in 1984, Pope John Paul walked into the dank cell of the Rebibia prison in Rome to meet Mehmet Ali Aka, the man who had tried to kill him. The Pope took the hand of the man who had fired a bullet at his heart, and he forgave him, and it was on the front page of every newspaper in the world. It seems to me that it is ten times harder for the ordinary person who nobody watches to forgive and forget. And yet the Bible teaches that such conduct is not only within the range of human possibilities. The Bible teaches that it is the standard conduct for a person who is operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and expressing agape love. That is what is wrapped up in the phrase, love thinketh no evil. Before my current study in the book of 1 Corinthians 13, I thought that phrase meant that love kept a clean mind. And certainly that's a valuable asset and it's commanded many other places in the Word of God, but that's not really what the phrase means. The text, love thinketh no evil, is a very important concept in personal relationships. So first of all, before we talk about how it can be applied to our lives, let's talk about the examination of resentment here in this phrase. The Greek word that is translated by the phrase, thinketh no evil, is the word logizomai. It is a word which means to think or to take into account. Literally, it's a bookkeeping term. 
It means to calculate or to reckon as when you are figuring an entry into a journal or a ledger. The purpose of entering uh, numbers into a journal or a ledger is in order to make a permanent record so that you can go back later and consult the record that you have made. In business, the practice of being a calculator or the function of logizomai, the practice of entering into the journal is a very important and necessary practice. But in personal relationships, it is not only unnecessary, it is harmful. Literally, what the text is saying is this, love does not keep a record of the wrong that is done to it. Love does not calculate the wrong that has been done to it. I thought perhaps a brief look at some other passages where that verb logizomai is used will help you understand the true meaning. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me first of all to Romans chapter 4 where we read this term translated in a different way. Verse 8, this is what it said. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord, now here's the phrase, will not impute sin. The term to impute is the term logizitai. It means to keep track of, to enter into the record. Blessed is the man, literally, whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And all of us would say amen to that. We're forgiven because the Lord, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, has determined not to keep a record of our sin. He doesn't take it into account. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5.19. It's found again in this passage. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not, here's the word again, logizotai, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Literally, the text is saying, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting up their trespasses against them. One more phrase, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Here it is used in a very positive way. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, logizotai on these things. Calculate, enter these things into the record. Meditate, calculate, keep track of these things. All right, stop for just a moment. The word says that love does not take into account, does not keep track of the wrong or the evil that is done to it. And isn't it true that resentment is simply the calculating, the writing down in the book of memory all of the wrongs that have been done to one and keeping track of them so that we might consult them sometime in the future for our own benefit. That is the basis of resentment. And the Bible teaches that love is not resentful. This is the kind of record that love keeps. No wrong is ever recorded for later reference. Love forgives. 
Someone has suggested that love does not forgive and forget. Love remembers and still forgives. Resentment is careful to keep the books, which it reads and rereads, hoping for a chance somehow to get even. Love doesn't keep any books because it has no place for resentment or grudges. Now, resentment is the accumulation of unexpressed anger. We said love is not easily provoked, and I told you that the word provoke means to explode. Well, resentment is an explosion underground. Whereas to be provoked means that when you get angry, you ventilate and you blow off steam and you chew somebody out or hit somebody or whatever. Resentment means that when you're angry, you turn all of that inward and you calculate it. You keep a record of it. It's anger gone underground, if you will. And because it is kept out of you, it mounts without us realizing its scope until finally it presses shut the doors of our souls and spills over into the wellsprings of our lives and it begins to pollute every part of us until it has poisoned us and we are no longer able to function. Anger, you see, that isn't dealt with turns inward and it begins to build up and before we know it it's like a dam that grows over from the accumulation of old pieces of wood and rubbish and it clogs up the passageway and before you know it every little thing that comes down the pipe gets caught and it begins to build up and build up and before you know it you begin to see the effect of it in your own life the inward unexpressed anger building up within you ready to explode the church father Chrysostom observed that a wrong done against love should be like a spark that falls into the sea and is quenched. Love quenches wrongs rather than recording them, he wrote. It does not cultivate memories out of evils. If God so completely and permanently erases the record of our many sins against him, how much more should we forgive and forget the much lesser wrongs done against us? Love doesn't keep track of everything that's happened. Love forgives and love dismisses and love goes on. I was intrigued to see if there were examples in the Bible of people who bore resentment. And I found an example in the strangest place. In the heart of the man who was after God's own heart, the man David, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament and the book of 1 Kings and the second chapter. I had never really noticed this before, but I found that here this great man of God had been carrying resentment all of his life. All of his life. One can only calculate what impact it had upon him. The second chapter of 1 Kings are the closing words in the life of David. He's about ready to leave this world and he is now giving his uh, closing speech, so to speak. And I want you to read with me the first nine verses of the second chapter and pick out the resentment in his speech. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statues and his commandments and his ordinances and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and wherever thou turnest thyself. So far, so good. 
that the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Now here we go. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab the son of Jeriah did to me, and what he did to the two captains of the host of Israel, unto Abner the son of Ner, and to, unto Amasa the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his belt that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom, and do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. Now, he's not done yet. He's got somebody else on his list of resentment. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be of those who eat at thy table, for so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shemai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Barum, who cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahanim. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man, and knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him, but his gray head bring thou down to Sheol with blood. Now the last one's even more intriguing than the first, because David had made a commitment to Shemai that he wouldn't do anything with him in his lifetime, and he was going to keep his commitment, but in his dying breath he wanted to make sure the guy got it anyway. So he passed it on to his successor. And he said to him, I couldn't do it because I promised him I wouldn't, but I hate that guy, and when I'm gone, you make sure he doesn't live very long. You kill him. And one can only wonder what the seeds of the hatred that had built up in the heart of David were doing to his life at that particular time. His hatred for Joab, his hatred for Shemai. He wanted with all of his heart for those people to be snuffed out. And can you imagine this great man, the sweet singer of Israel, the man after God's own heart, who had been used to bless so many in his dying breath, mixed with the blessing he passed on to his own son, venting his own resentment against two men that he never had been able to forgive. Oh, the price of resentment. I want to talk to you about the expense of resentment. What price does a person pay to harbor resentment in their heart? Some years ago, during a visit to Yellowstone Park, one writer observed that the only animal that the grizzly bear would share his food with was a skunk. It wasn't that the grizzly wanted to share his food, but rather that he chose to. With one swing of his powerful paw, he could have crushed the skunk. So why did he allow the skunk to eat with him? Because he knew the high cost of getting even. That's why. <laughs> In his book, None of These Diseases, Dr. S.I. McMillan says, Medical science recognizes that emotions such as fear, sorrow, envy, resentment, and hatred are responsible for the majority of our sicknesses. Estimates vary from 60% to nearly 100%. Dick Innes cites a report of an astonished patient who went to see his doctor on one occasion. And the doctor said, if you don't cut out your resentments, I may have to cut out a part of your intestinal tract. The man took the doctor's advice. He'd been nursing a bitter grudge against someone. 
and their differences had grown to be the all-encompassing fact of his life happened to be his business partner he went to see this man and he resolved the conflict and he was forgiven and when he returned to the doctor his physical condition had totally cleared up resentment you see rips people apart sets them up for emotional breakdowns and damages their relationships often those relationships are damaged beyond repair resentment destroys more individuals and more relationships than any other single emotion resentment rages through personalities and families reducing the very life and essence of an individual leaving him or her disintegrated and diseased emotionally and physically resentment literally destroys people Someone has written, we make believe that we are at peace while the furies rage within beneath the surface. There hidden and suppressed our hate opens the subterranean faucets of venom that will eventually infect all of our relationships in ways we cannot predict. Hate left to itself, denied and hidden, leaves us in a cold hell behind insulated masks of warm friendship. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that you thought was a gracious loving kind person and then all of a sudden without any apparent provocation there is an explosion that is so out of context that you don't know how to understand it is that an accident is that some kind of freak of personal relationship behavior no that is simply the volcano that finally bursts to the surface and explodes because of the underground hatred that is being calculated the books are being kept the journal is up to date and all of the wrongs that are being done and have been done have been kept in good form so that they could go back later and refer to them for their own purposes Michael Christopher has written a play called the black angel and in this play he tells the story of Engel Engel was a, a German general in World War II, and he was sentenced by the Nuremberg court to 30 years in prison for atrocities committed by his army. He survived the prison experience, and he was released from prison. And at the time in the play where the story is told, he is now living in a place called Alsace, and he is building a cabin in the woods where he and his wife intend to live out their years left to them hopefully incognito in peace away from all the stress but in the play a man by the name of Moreau a French journalist is waiting in the wings Moreau was impacted by Ingalls life because his whole family had been massacred by Ingalls army during the war and when the Nuremberg court had refused to sentence Ingle to death Moreau, the journalist, privately condemned Engel to die in his own heart. His condemnation was kept alive and hot in his own heart by the fire of hate that he kept kindling in terms of his resentment against the man. And now that Engel had been released, Moreau's time had come. Moreau had stoked the fanatics in the village close by where Engel was building his cabin. And that very night, they were going to march up the hill and burn down the cabin and shoot Engel and his wife to death. Moreau, however, being a true journalist, wanted to get to Engel beforehand. Some gaps in the story that he was writing plagued him, and he needed information firsthand. 
So up he went to the cabin on the hill. He introduced himself to a shaken ingle, and he spent the afternoon grilling the former general about the village massacre that was laying in his heart like a forgotten shadow. Ingle's feeble humanity, that's what got to him. He expected some kind of a monster, but instead he saw a tired old man. And Moreau was confused by that. In fact, he was having a hard time putting all the pieces of the story together that he was writing. His vengeance began to be blurred, and the purity of his hate was contaminated. Toward the end of the afternoon, as the sun fell deep and the woods became a cavern, Moreau blurted out to Ingle that the villagers were going to come and kill him that night. And he offered to lead Ingle out of the woods and save his life. But the afternoon's inquisition had brought other kinds of doubts into Ingle's soul. Ingle paused, his eyes fixed for a moment on a fallen cone from the black pine tree, and then he said, I'll go with you on one condition. Moreau couldn't believe it. He was giving conditions for the salvation of his own life. What possible condition could be worth even discussing when the alternative was that he would be slain by the angry people from the village? Finally, he said, what condition? And Ingle said, that you forgive me. Forgive? Well, Moreau hadn't, he hadn't thought about that one. In fact, in his own mind, he'd already exterminated Ingle a hundred thousand times in the years that passed since his family had been killed. His fantasies of hate had played in his mind over and over again for almost 30 years. Now he was face to face with the man that he had hated for all of that time. And his vengeance was unsettled. He would save the man's life. He'd made that decision. He'd lead him out of the woods and away from the angry villagers. Yes, he would do that. But forgive him? Never. And that night, the enraged villagers came with sacks over their heads, burned the cabin, shot Ingle, and his wife dead. Now, the question is, why was forgiving harder than saving Ingle's life? Why? It was too much for the man. He couldn't do it because his hatred had become a passion that he had played with so long that it had actually become a part of him personally. Moreau could not live. He could not even be the person he had come to be if he was minus his hatred. He had come to be synonymously associated with the hatred he had for this man. And when the time came to forgive him, it meant literally cutting out the part of his life that had grown to be his whole life. His resentment had become so much a part of him that when it came time to forgive, it would have been like consigning himself to death and destroying any reason he had left for living. For he had come to live for one thought and for one reason, and that was to hate that man. Wow. It is true that some people live on their anger. It's what gets them up in the morning, keeps them up late at night. They write fictitious notes. They give speeches when nobody's around. Uh, it's an awful thing to see how resentment can dig its claws into a person's life and literally destroy them. Let me tell you something I know. You resent somebody, you're not hurting them at all. They probably didn't even know that you resent them. You're killing yourself 
and you need to stop it. 1 Corinthians 13 will give you some fuel to help you do that. We'll be back with another part of this tomorrow as we continue our discussion of the power of love. In the meantime, let me remind you that we're coming to North Charleston to the Coliseum there, uh, October the 6th and 7th. It's a two-day event, Friday night and Saturday morning. I'll be teaching both times. A lot of wonderful things are happening that weekend. I hope you don't miss out on it. And you can find out everything you need to know about it at davidjeremiah.org. Go there today and plan to join us in October. See you next time right here. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Power of Love, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2024. Focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. The always entertaining preacher Vance Havner told a story about a church that had a sign out front that read, Jesus Only. But when a violent windstorm swept through the town one night, the first three letters of Jesus, J-E-S, were blown off the sign. So the next morning, the sign read, Us Only. Havner's point was that too many churches have become about us versus them, a place for Christians to hide from the world. 
But lots of people have become Christians after being invited to church by a friend or neighbor. When is the last time you invited someone to visit your church? This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's open-door policy on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.